Hello, friends and enemies. Welcome to another episode of Hybrid Unlimited. This is Steffi Cohen. And Hayden Bow. And today we sit down with Ian Kaplan, our co-host, and with Dr. Kelly Starrett. If you don't know him, then you definitely... You've been living under a rock. You have. Kelly's been in the fitness industry for over 10 years. He's a doctor in physical therapy, and he's an author as well of the book Supple Leopard. Everybody knows that book. You should know that book. And he is the co-owner of The Ready State, which is a rebranding of Mobility Wad, in case you you know it by that name. They've totally, he's totally revolutionized the world of physical therapy and brought, brought to light a completely different method for people to learn and for people to improve their performance and their life. That's a pretty good summary. This episode is also brought to you by Go Strong Equipment. These guys are the best equipment manufacturers in the game. They're still taking orders, unlike a lot of uh, uh, companies during this uh, period of time. So definitely check them out. The, guys, uh, you need the, hi- the Hybrid Fantasy Factory is under construction, and Ghost made us a bunch of equipment uh, for the Fantasy Factory that I can't wait to share publicly because it is amazing. It is, it so is the cool. most beautiful stuff I've ever seen. It's all chrome. You can see. So cool. You can see. Your reflection out of our equipment. It's a mirror also. Yeah. It's a squat rack mirror. Yeah. Squat and bench. Yeah. Hey, look, here's, here's the deal. You, you don't want to lose your gains, right? That's the reality of the situation. So I'm proposing to you, I'm proposing to you a solution. <laughs> all right. Head over to go strong equipment, snag a squat rack and a bench, and then purchase a hybrid performance method program so that you know what to do every day and you don't disintegrate and end up looking like a soggy noodle sopping wet noodle (laughs) i can hear the disdain in your voice yeah that was a goal all right hope you guys enjoy the podcast kelly you have no idea how surreal it is to me that we that we communicate and that i'm having you on my podcast today i i I think i briefly told you when we first started communicating that you have been one of my biggest sources of inspiration, especially in the world of physical therapy. The thing that I was the most impressed by and kind of what I strived for myself was how you were able to capitalize on a profession that you know, lame. maybe for some, it, it is lame. You you brought the cool. Inappropriate word. I use it on purpose, right? It's like not sensitive. No, I mean it is. You're right. You know, you you brought coolness to PT. You capitalized on it. You found a way to make it way more profitable than it actually is. You know, some people might say it is profitable in the traditional yeah, in the sense. traditional sense. Like I don't know if you, if you're okay with making a hundred grand a, a year, then fine. But yeah, when you're the director of the clinic, working eighty hours a week, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's the, the top. Well, let me say, I really appreciate that. And, um, you know, I just came through and I was at the right place at the right time with the right skill set, you know. And um, what's really fun is, to, is, you know, these. I knew that eventually we would connect because it's like two big Cheerios in a bowl of milk. Like eventually <laughs> Cheerio magnetism is going to bring us together. Because if I look around and really say, who are the physios who are doing a good job of expanding the role of physio, of, of integrating performance and pain theory and diet and nutrition? I mean, recently someone put up, you know, they were like, they made a comment that, uh, you know, was about research on arthritis and arthritis pain if people lost 
body weight. And they were like, maybe we should talk about this. And I got on and was like, physical therapy is maybe the worst profession ever to talk about diet. Like, and people were like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, you don't have any training. You don't know how to do it. Your follow-up is crap. You don't know. I mean, like, should I just elicit the, the responses? And you know, and I was like, it's not even our practice act. So how dare you like say, just, you're, we're going to stumble in, eat less kids, it's you know, how'd that go for you? You know? And, uh, but when you're coming from the other side and the framework is set, you guys have done an opportunity where I can point and be like, why don't you do this? You know, like, here's your solution for you. And, uh, and expanding, you know, the, the Venn diagram of the things that I feel like we get to talk about tissue health, performance, nutrition, sleep loading. I mean, just like, I just keep, it's like a land grab right now for those people who are, cause now I'm like, people are like, what do you do? I'm like, well, I was trained as a physical therapist, but now I'm a coach. <laughs> you know what I, mean? I, I think that's thing. the way to say that. Yeah. That's what we all say now, right? Yeah. I say the same thing. I actually just had this conversation with, with who? With, with uh, Jen uh, Esker. And Greg Lehman, I think. And maybe with Greg Lehman too. I, uh, I didn't even take my licensure exam and I'm not planning on doing it because what I learned in school, no one's going to take from me. You know, I have that knowledge. I'm going to apply that knowledge where I see fit. And, um, to be honest with you, like, I don't think there's much of a difference between, uh, performance, strength and conditioning and physical therapy. It should be essentially the same. So, you know, I'm glad I, uh, stuck with my gut there. And, no, uh, I think you, I think you should take it and then make thirty dollars an hour. It's great. <laughs> uh, yeah, no thanks. Hard pass. On you gotta that know one. the you gotta know the settings of the stim machine. <laughs> the square waveform is different than the. I throw out sham ultrasound every time I can. I'm like, you know, are you doing ultrasound counterclockwise? Because that everyone knows that that's better. <laughs> so, like, oh my god! So you know, it's it is interesting. You know watching physio have its moment of trying to figure out who they are. And it's really difficult. And, and, you know, I think we were, everyone was happy to be on the tit of, of, of insurance. You just show up, you don't have to do a new work. There was no hustle involved and definitely no growth. What we get to argue about is, is, is it three sets of 10 or is it four sets of 10, you know, short arc quads. I'm like, what the, what are we talking about? You know? And, so I think it's uh, we have a chance to, you know, redefine all of the therapies from Cairo to the physio. Like, what is it we look like? How does it look? And I think right now, as long as we keep giving secrets away, you know, right now I see physios on the internet showing people how to do mobilizations, and I'm like, oh, because the next course I want to create is how to mobilize your athletes for strength coaches. Like, what do you mean you can't? do hip quadrant. Like, what are you worried about that? That 300 pound lineman's hip is going to dislocate. You know what I mean? Like you're not working into like, we need to actually teach coaches how to solve a set of problems when there's not an underlying medical condition. Like that's the next frontier. And it's just further eroding back. Anyway, I, we'll see what happens, you know? Yeah. The uh, APTA is not going to be happy about that one. <laughs> Well, we don't have to do it. I mean, I've been trying, I always, you know, I now have a rationalization. I'm like, look, incomplete mechanics incident. You know, I, you've heard me talk about like who owns pain, right? And the things that you guys are talking about so well. And I'm like, well, is pain a medical condition? Because it turns out everyone's a pain and we're all lying about it. Right. And everyone trains anyway. So is that really a medical condition? No one's going to see a physical therapist because their knee hurts after a run. That's just a pipe dream. So if already I'm like, oh, you lost pain. Now pain is owned by coaches. Sorry. <laughs> right? Ian, Ian, and I have, Ian and I have a saying, life is pain. 
<laughs> I'm gonna get it tattooed. <laughs> I'm gonna get it tattooed good. on my neck. <laughs> okay. I'm so glad we can just open with neck tattoos because I have to tell you, I fight the urge all the time to have my girls' names tattooed on my neck. All of them. All of the I girls? All, all my girls, like just like I'm a middle-aged 47-year-old thug. And, you know, and I, I really appreciate the neck tattoo. May I just suggest don't get a neck tattoo, but theoretically dream of a neck tattoo. <laughs> That's good page. advice. Yeah, let's talk about your um, the, your beginnings. So 10 years ago, you, 10 years ago, you said? For Mobility Wad, yeah. For Mobility Wad. I remember that video. (laughs) Mobility Wad and Supple Leopard. Like, talk to me. The first time I ever saw Kelly, I think you were injured and you were doing a clean where you were catching... Uh, you were catching it without using one arm. And it was the first time that I ever saw something like like that. And I was like, damn, that's crazy. Who is this guy? And then I started looking into <laughs> it was all crazy. the stuff you were doing. I don't recommend it. <laughs> I don't have any. So I broke my wrist, broke my hand, tore the TFCC, and then finished it off kayaking because your right hand is your control hand. Mm-hmm. And then CrossFit with Poor technique just destroyed. Like the being on the rings was put your wrist into the worst position possible, right? So whatever whatever range I had, I just ended, and then um, so I don't have any extension. I just don't. I can't extend my wrist at all. Like if I go back, this is like eight out of ten pain on that corner, right? So I'm just like, all right, well, let me figure out how to keep working because what am I going to do? Not power clean and deadlift and squat and and uh, you know this is one of the I think the seminal ideas of you know, people come in with this movement history, injury history, and more importantly, we're smart enough to keep working around those things, right? The problem I think sometimes is, was when I came into physio school, I was already an injured kayaking athlete, which you guys know, right? And uh, my, the short story is I paddled myself into a nerve neck problem. Of course, it was my fault, it was totally obvious. Decided to go to physical therapy school. And when I was in physio school, nothing looked and smelled like the way athletes trained. It was all very low level. Maybe there was a bridge and I actually went out of my way. Anytime I could use the bridge as an intervention in a, in a PT test out where I get a clinical rotation set up, I would use the bridge and I would come up with these wild rationalizations for why I was using the bridge. And anytime I could use the bridge, it became a joke that I would try to work the bridge in because I felt like it was the only physical therapy intervention in the whole pantheon of low level sort of busy work that we tend to give people that I thought was, was worth anything. And so I really struggled early on and I discovered CrossFit my first semester of PT school. And so that's notable because we were already lifting in the gym. We were already training really hard. I came out of this, you know, Olympic level movement tradition. And yet when I got to physical therapy school, it was completely different language. It was like this weird correlate language for the way we trained. And I was like, Oh, this is why physical therapists aren't taken seriously by the strength community because you get a lot of low level busy work. Right. And it doesn't translate, like just do this a whole bunch with your shoulder. And I don't know, maybe that'll help your snatching. I'm not sure why, but you're right. And and then I got, you know, don't put 200 pounds over your head. I was like, well, where'd that number come from? Like, what, what are you talking about? Right. So I then start with CrossFit. And we have to imagine that there's no YouTube, there's no Twitter, there's no right Instagram. It's, it's the dark ages. So I find Crazy. CrossFit and it's gifts. It's gifts of people Olympic lifting. <laughs> and so I, I think it's not that long ago where we didn't have, it was like still like the darkness. It was the middle ages, like, you know, 15 years ago. 
And um, suddenly when I found CrossFit, I realized that I really wasn't competent in Olympic lifting. I was working with an Olympic lifting coach, Jim Schmitz, already in the city. So I'd been Olympic lifting. I knew that was important. I really sucked at all gymnastics skills, right? I thought I was a well-conditioned athlete, but it turned out I was not a well-conditioned athlete. And I wasn't very strong. And I just found these huge holes because I suddenly had access to these communities where I, I, I fell into that, that, that suck hole where you're just the, – the skill progression is so high, right? Because there's so many things to learn. I didn't know how to run. I didn't know how to program running. I didn't know how to you know, think about you know, having access to this. Mm-hmm. So that's my first you know, semester of physio school trying to wrap my head between, hey, there's something here in this Australian approach to manual therapy. But the breakthrough came when I was working with an athlete who was trying to be a master's Olympic lifter and I did a rib PA on her. So I did a mobilization for her ribs and it helped her extension and she was able to snatch and, and win the national masters. And I was like, hmm. I wonder what's up with that. Like, I don't think I remember anyone ever mobilizing to improve position. Like the only time you pulled the mobilizations out was to help someone with pain. That was the only time. Maybe it was some loose stretching or you did some assistance work. But then one time I pretty soon in the clinic, I'm a student still. And I had this MMA fighter in for a shoulder problem. And I'm like, Hey, can I see your guard? And he pulls his knee up and he's stuck at 90 degrees. I'm like, dude, your guard sucks. And he was like, how did you know? And I was like, well, you can't get your knee past 90 degrees when you're on your back. That's sort of important. So I whipped out my belt, started mobilizing his hips and everyone's like, what are you doing? I was like, working on this guy. Like I have an hour or whatever I had. And I opened his hips and he came back and he was like, dude, what was that? Like I was, I, I wrapped my, my, my knees around this guy's face and I, what, I do more of that. And I was like, what? like, you know, I could, and I actually had to call the CAPTA, California Physical Therapy Association be like, can I mobilize people who aren't in pain? And they were like, I don't know why not. And I was like, great, <laughs> good talk. I mean, that's that's where we were. And and when I was suddenly running a gym, you know, we're the 21st CrossFit in the world. I'm seeing, still as a student, I did that my second year, opened the gym my second year of PT school, which I don't recommend to anyone. And um, all of a sudden I was seeing positional incompetence and that I couldn't cue someone out of. And I was also seeing patients and I started to see this overlap of, it doesn't matter how much I cue you to put your arms over your head or keep the barbell close or elbows high. If you're missing this key shoulder range of motion. And it became suddenly like everyone was wearing no clothes and it was like the matrix. Like I could just see. And so a lot of times what we started doing, and I, I really fought mobilizing. I fought being the mobility, mobility guy for a long time. I didn't want to talk about mobilization, stretching. Cause the thing I like to do the most is coach. But I realized that we had this missing gap in the world. Like people didn't have any interpretation of their hip. They couldn't extend their hip. They didn't have any dorsiflexion. They just, and what was happening is they were working around these problems and then having pain. Or what I can say is, I don't know why you have pain, but it is strange that you also are missing these key ranges of motion, right? I went, I could see kind of cause and effect and then effect back to cause while running this experiment of trying to coach and teach people in our gym all the time. And that was really where this thing was born. And I set out to make a video a day for a year just for my patients. And I, you know, and in, you know, in hindsight, I mean, no one was using the word mobility at the time. That's why I chose mobility. We would mobilize tissues, of course. I mean, I'm not the first person, you know, um, you know, 
the chiropractic community used the word manipulation, mm-hmm. right? For, you know, we, we would talk about mobilizing tissues. So I was like mobility. And then we were the first wad anything. There was no other wad in the world. And I'm like, wow. I am the most clever person <laughs> ever mobility wad. And, uh, and then fast forward 10 years and, um, you know, we, we, we made a video a day. We told one person and it just ballooned into a need where we realized that people needed to be able to take care of themselves and everything else was secondary to that. I love that. I think it's amazing that the approach that you took instead of being secretive with like these magical techniques that we get taught in PT school, you educated and empowered people to take control of, of their lives, of their movements and of their pain and gave them, gave them some skills and some knowledge that they can apply on their own to improve their lives mm-hmm. in a time where nobody in was a time where that. that information was not available. Oh, and it, and it felt, it felt like I was being risky and dangerous. Like you think like you're going to put a band on someone's hip. And I was like, have you seen what they're doing? They're snatching over here. I don't think they're going to get hurt. Right. You know? And, and frankly, people were coming to me really high level. Good athletes were coming to me with simple, dumb problems. Like if you lay someone down on their stomach and you bring their heel towards their butt, it shouldn't stop below they get before they get to 90 degrees. Like that's just a stiffness problem. It's not a motor control problem. It's not a, any other like will problem. It's not a strength problem. Like I, you know, in physiotherapy school, I I was taught like everyone was weak, you know, and we even did like, I've never met a weak person. A weak person might be a 90 person year old person who doesn't get off the couch, but weakness is rarely the issue. Yes. Maybe your glute isn't keeping up with your legs or your trunk is the thing you need to work on because you are squatting 700 pounds. Okay, mm-hmm. right. There's, a, there's something that's lagging here, right? But what we found was we had this opportunity to start to talk about this. And the first time I realized I could substitute a mulligan band, that distraction band, with a rubber band. And I, you know, and I, I was like, hip quadrant is amazing, right? That's, that is one of our hip techniques. And that's the foundation of the hip capsule mode. But I was so pissed that I couldn't do it to myself. And then all of a sudden, I, I pulled out one of the jump stretch bands that I was using to, to deadlift or power lift, put it on my hip, flipped over on my stomach, and I was like, oh, I solved this. And that was another light moment where I realized we could use some of these distraction techniques to help restore joint motion. And then we were off to the races, you know, and then we, we figured out voodoo flossing because we were exposed to some of that early compression from Dick Hartzell and then check, check, check. And then we had the greatest lab of all time, which is something that I want to highlight that you guys do so well is how transparent you are. And to something you said, Steffi, about being transparent with our tools is all the best coaches in the world I knew we're a hundred percent transparent. They're like, Oh yeah, you want to come and see what we do? Come just show up, show up at my gym at 6am or 5am or whenever. And you can go lift with Louie, you know, Laura Phelps was like, yeah, we'll be lifting at eight o'clock. I'm like, all right, I'll be, I'll, I'll be the weakest woman on the platform today. No problem. And, uh, you know, and I think what I appreciated was that all of the coaches I knew were always interested in improving the community and they're never secretive. Those are my heroes and the physical therapists, they're still not transparent. I still don't know how someone like Greg Lehman treats. I still don't know. I don't know. How, how does, how do any of the masters treat? I can't tell, you know, they go into their wall and then they talk about it, but I haven't actually seen a session and that every strength session, mobility work session that you guys put up, I'm like, I can see how you're thinking. And that is how we transform society. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? I, that's interesting. Cause we did, we had Greg Lehman on the podcast and I love the conversation we had. Um, 
but I, I, you know what I think about him? I think he doesn't understand the power he has. Yeah. He, he and, has and no the, idea. And the, and he the has interest no that people have in what he's doing. Yeah. He has no idea that people are interested in learning from him. To the extent. To the extent. Yeah. Craig Liebmanson in IG TV's a lot of his appointments. Yeah. Does he? Yeah, you just have to have someone sign off and a patient's yeah, like, yeah, yes, yeah. or or blur my face or no, I don't yeah. wait a show. Craig is, you know, and it's not an accident that, you know, I just got a text from Craig two days ago. You know, he yeah. is he is the Shiza, you know, and and if we if we look at the people who are going to be um like for me, those two uh volumes of Maitland, you know, Jeffrey Maitland from Australia. It was like, here's how I do everything. Here's all my thinking. Here's all my clinical reasoning. Blah. But now we have the internet, right? And we have YouTube and we have people making incredible content. And I mean, just let's look at what's happening in sort of pain theory. So my daily instructors around pain theory came at the physio school were we had gone through the Folsom residency. Um, we're all, they were all at Kaiser Vallejo which is a sort of a center for PNF. That's where PNF was invented and is really a neurologic rehab center. So those are all my daily instructors and they're all heavy duty manual therapists too. So there was this interface of how do I get your body to feel and move again? And then, oh yeah, let's give you some input or restore a position and then feel again. So I like, no wonder the way I came to think the way I came to think. And, <clears throat> but I had a ton of pain theory. I mean, we all read explain pain, you know, in school and we were all exposed to that and all the technical part of it, but look at what's happened where now this is part of the conversation of strength and conditioning. This is the conversation where people are not afraid of pain and, and there's still work to be done, of course, but what's happened is I think that sometimes our professions are really worried about losing their, their handholds, right. And their, their grip. And so that they won't let the secrets out. And suddenly you have people doing a great job, you know, reinforcing. And now I'm like, Oh, we're, I feel like we're in a post pain splaining society now. Like people really do understand some of the mechanisms and the complexity of the brain. And that's come from our neuroscientist friends. And, the, and so everything is leveled up. And the real question is, where, who is delivering health and who is delivering performance? Who has the most relationships? Because, you know, one of the things, if I come and train with you guys, you know how I eat, you know what my life is like, you know what my stress is. You see me three to five hours a week or three to five times a week for an hour and a half or so. Like a hundred percent of me is a relationship that you guys have as, as coaches and that's the biopsychosocial model in a nutshell, right? Not, hey, I'm going to go see someone for 45 minutes, maybe the first time. It takes me four weeks to get in there. I try to explain my life. You don't watch me move. You don't watch me squat. You don't watch me run. You don't watch me jump. You certainly don't watch me when I fatigue. Then the follow-up is 30 minutes later on, and we, 10 minutes of those minutes is chit-chatting and giving me handouts. I'm like, maybe that is not the best use of physical therapy, right? Maybe we're going to have to rethink about where we de deploy our chiros and our physios. And it turns out, I think we need to be closer to the point of the spear, which is the YMCA, which is, you know, the, the, the 24 hour fitness, that's where people are. And talking about it post fact is not the way it's, you know, it's maybe not, it's not, it's not a sustainable model of the long haul. Yeah, no. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually, now that you bring that up, I'm actually curious where you fall on that, on that spectrum between the biopsychosocial and the kinesiopathological model. Do you fall somewhere in between kind of like, how do you incorporate those two into your practice? 
It would depend how you define them, right? <laughs> well, that's that's a really good point. So the first part is, you know, let's. I got so much heat when we were in our deep neuro rehab models, right? In in school, this is this is me, black sheep. Like I need to integrate. I need to synthesize. And you see how it all relates, right? I need a continuum. And um, I remember doing manual therapy or mobilizations to improve people with neurologic deficits that couldn't extend the hip, lay on their stomach. I gave them some things to work on or some simple mobilizations so they could get into a better position, right? And people suddenly were like, what are you doing? And I was like, well, people who have nervous system problems also have bodies. And on the other side, I was super clever around. I was like, oh, you think you have a knee problem? Let me introduce you to your nervous system, right? And people were like, what are you doing? This is ortho. And I'm like, and your ortho is attached to your brain somewhere. So I think... What we appreciate is, you know, we have always taught as coaches and as athletes, we've always talked about nutrition and sleep and stress and belonging to a training group, right? And being, seeing progress and goal setting. I was like, oh, those, I mean, you can't actually be an athlete or be on a team and not talk about those things, right? Those, so all of a sudden for physical therapists to be like, we own that. And how dare you not talk about it? I'm like, dude, welcome to being a coach because you've never coached anyone your whole life. It may be that you've never heard these things before, but this is the root and the heart and the soul of any performance program is, does my athlete feel safe? What's the communication like, right? Do they feel seen? How, how do they feel today? Are they sleeping? Are they recovering? Like graded exposure. And then, so, you know, to answer your question, you know, we, I have really come to appreciate, I kind of, as I look through a, a movement model or a pain model or something going on, I'm like, well, is this a joint capsule problem chiefly? Is this just, a, just your stiff? Do you have a neuromuscular problem? And that can be, you know, whatever, we'll just call that neuromuscular. Is this a fascial problem? You know, the girl I dated in college for a long time was a rolfer. And uh, so I spent a lot of time at the Center for Rolfing there in Boulder. And if I saw if it rolfers, if rolfing solved all the problems, Everyone would be rolfing. If doing some muscle activation technique had solved all the problems, we'd all be doing that, right? If Terrell and Evans had done, if we'd solved every problem with the trigger point, we would have been solved. If, if the chiropractor had solved every problem with the joint mobilization or manipulation, we would have solved those problems. So it turns out there's components there, right? And they all work on, they overlap. But then I'm like, what about the movement quality? Because that was the thing that I heard from my physio world it just didn't matter right it's just a novel solution to a movement problem and i'm like is it you know is it because have you ever been in coach before have you ever been technique taught well it turns out that once you see the truth of it the way we coach people is really the best expression of mechanics that's why you know we have to look at all of our movement traditions and if you just you know when you lift i never look Hayden, what's on the bar? I don't, I don't even see what's on the bar. All I see is how you move under the bar. I don't, it doesn't matter what the bar position is. I mean, that's relevant to your torso uprightedness or what's going on, but I don't see the weight. So I just see what's happening with the positions of the hip and what's going on with the foot and all of those things. And so all of a sudden we have this tradition of skill, which will put movement. And even Chris Duffin had a post a couple of days ago that made the internet lose its mind where he's like, you know, if you move better, you won't get as stiff. And everyone's like, what? How, you know, he's like, I barely stretch. I just do a little soft tissue work. I'm like, that's how it should be. The more effectively you move, the less stiffness you get. Comma, when you get stronger and the first thing your body does is make collagen to handle that, that adaptation response. So that if you didn't do anything, you would get stiff. 
But then the last piece of that is environment. And, you know, we have sort of haven't formally named it until I think much more recently, but your environment matters. How much movement did you do? How much sleep did you have? Do you feel safe and loved? You know, what's your motivation? What are your goals? You know, talk about those things. And that's the heart of the biopsychosocial model. So I don't know if we can say I fall onto this. It's a knee mechanic problem, but I definitely think if you're stiff and can't flex your knee, that's a problem. And you have a nervous system, which is the most complicated structure in the known universe. Man, it's going to, you know, we're designed to be ridden hard and put away wet. And we have brains that are problem solvers. But I think, you know, we've lost our minds sometimes. And which one of those things is important? They're all important. Yeah, that was beautiful. I mean, I, I, I agree with that at a spiritual level. Yeah. I mean, th this is why I love you. That was beautifully put. <laughs> I think well, it's like most if, 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 Let me, sorry, Hayden, but I'm just going to, I mean, I'm representing. I, I, I don't know if, if there's an, another person on the internet who reps more hybrid stuff than their stuff. You know, I mean, people are like, they're like, they're like, do you, do you have a, like an affiliate code? I'm like, nope. I just love them. And oh, people man. are like, they're really confused by that, right? The first time I, we, uh, you know, we're going through the orders and we see Kelly Stratt, we're like, Really? Yeah, Come on. Well, what are the chances? Is this like a guy with the same name or something? We didn't even know you knew who we were. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was really cool. And thank you. We appreciate uh, all the support. Yeah, no, I, I love how you summarize that and, and how you're bringing to light that. Obviously, it, it, it's pain is multidimensional. Injuries are multidimensional. And I think that what completes a therapist is not the amount of uh, certifications that they hold or courses no. that they take is their ability to think critically and understand the different components that play a role in someone's experience with pain and with an injury. And you know, what shocks me the most is that during physical therapy school, when we were learning eval and how to take, how to take histories, I was never taught, like it was so, um, robotic almost and step by step that I felt like I couldn't, you know, ask any questions that were outside of that. And throughout my eight or 10 month long clinical rotations, I never felt like I established a true connection with my patients. And the only questions that I was asking that were related to pain is rate your pain from zero to 10. <laughs> what kind of pain do you have? Is it acute, dull, achy? And when, it, when does the pain get worse and when does it get better? How are those the only questions that they told me to ask? And, you know, they want me, they wanted me at that point to fit into this like square, right? Like they didn't want me to think outside of the box. They, and, and at that point, I was so convinced by the figures of authority that I was in front, you know, my professors, I was trusting, I guess, that they were giving me, even though I was skeptical, mm -hmm. you know, I still felt like in order to graduate and in order to get a good mark, I had to do all these things that they were telling me and not stray from, from the program. But, you know, that is shocking to me that during those conversations, it was never emphasized how important it is to build a legitimate connection with the person you have in front and ask questions that are pertinent to the, to the person's experience with pain. We, we've talked about this before. And I think the problem with a lot of those big box sort of outpatient uh, physio places is that they're more concerned about just not giving an answer that is wrong or an answer that could maybe cause harm that yeah. they go too far the other way and just don't produce any sort of anything positive. It's like and they, they cause harm. 
<laughs> and they end up causing harm, I guess, in the long run, right? But as as long as it can't yeah, be traced you know, back to the to the physio, then they're like, okay, we're not liable for anything. You know, we just didn't we didn't cause harm. We're okay. You know, one of the things that we ask, you know, if you're coaching someone and they fail, you're part of that failure. The athlete still needs to show up and still is going to have to compete. And, you know, Steffi, you are the queen of, oh, cameras are on. We got a thousand people going. Let's do this. Like you really, I mean, you do, you show up so well, which is something I just love about you is that you seem to become harder and sharper and even better when there's real pressure on you, which is every athlete I know, every good athlete, right? Carrie Walsh. I mean, you know, like give her that, give her that girl some pressure and she's going to show up. And one of the things that I think, you see as a coach is that you, you, you're part of that. It's really emotional. You, you're, you're deeply connected and care and you own the failure as much as your athletes, because you're, here's my hypothesis. We do this amount of work and then we taper and meet this way. This is our result. So we make a hypothesis and then we test the hypothesis. And actually that's what we do every time we train. Every training session is here's the hypothesis. We're going to work up and see if we can maintain your position at this skill and this position, this shape under this load for this many times. And then and to see if you can handle it. But we, we test and retest every single day. And we know it's a moving target, right? Because some days you show up and you're like, wow, I suck today. You know, I just, I didn't, didn't handle my recovery adaptation or I didn't eat right or I'm stressed. What, right? Oh, okay. So that's, we either, I love what Dave Spitz says. We win or we learn. So even a bad training day is so much data. You get this feedback loop that's constantly there. So one of the problems with physio, and I'm not, we're not bagging on physio because I, I don't, I'm, convinced I could not do what I did without having this traditional education, right? I'm so grateful. I wouldn't be able to, you know, mobility wad would never have been a thing. Ready state's not a thing. And what I'll say is we don't own failure. So how do we know when someone fails physical therapy? What does that even look like? How do we know you failed chiropractic? How do you know if you failed your physician? Like you're still in pain or you didn't restore or you stopped doing the thing. And so one of the, one of the questions is, you know, in this transparency model, I want us to own a little bit more. And if, if Steph, the only thing we say to you is it's important that you ask pain, well, how are we getting, how are we knowing we have a problem? Well, the NAGI model and the world health organization for disability talks about when is someone disabled? And what we think is, Oh, someone's disabled. They're actually in a wheelchair, had a head trauma. That's not disability. Disability is means you can no longer perform your role in society. You can't do your sport. Okay. I can't compete. My back hurts. You are injured at this point. So let's substitute the word disability, which is a general word to capture all of society to this athletic population. So when am I injured? When I cannot be on my team, can't pick up my daughter, afraid to do a sport, afraid to occupy my role in my, in my job. Okay, now you're injured. But if all the physical therapy is not predicated on that, it's predicated on getting you out of pain. And then when you're out of pain, I actually don't have a rationalization to see you anymore. Well, for me, pain is not a thing that you, you should get help with pain. You should seek out because that's really important information, but it is the lowest bar because let's walk into any training high performance group in the world. And I'm like, how many of you all are pain free and no one raises their hands. I walk into high schools and I'm like, how many of you guys are pain free and no one raised their hands. And the parents, the parents and the coaches are like, what? 
<laughs> you know, you know, the coach is standing next to the starting pitcher and he, the kid raises his hand. I'm like, Hey, what's wrong with you? He's like, my elbow hurts. And the, the coach is like, what? You didn't tell me that. He's like, you didn't ask. You know, I, I just thought my elbow hurt that. all that, the time. That is, an, that is an unrealistic expectation that you're going to go train at a high level and you're going to be hundred percent pain-free. It's unrealistic. I was in pain my entire childhood playing hockey. I'm in pain every single day. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> like that's, that's crazy. So if we use that as our bar, Mm-hmm. I, I'm either healthy or I'm unhealthy of pain. I'm like, dude, go ahead and just, you know, test your body out. Go for a 10 mile, you know, 10 hour mountain bike ride. Let me know how you feel the next day. <laughs> Jump on an airplane after pulling a, a record at a meet. And then let me know how you feel the next day. You're going to, you get up and like, you're like, I'm a hundred years old. <laughs> I shouldn't, shouldn't have done all those squats. Right. So, so what I think is, you know, we've set up the system differently. And what I'm hoping now is, because no one else – so in this, this predicament, in this shelter-in-place thing that we've got going on, um, you know, one of our friends made this sticker from 30 Seconds Out. It says, no one is coming. It's up to us, right? And I love that. Like, I'm like, let's shift the personal responsibility in the narrative, empower the people, and it's up to us. So I think who owns position? athletes and coaches. But what we stripped out of the training environment was this notion of coordination and position are part of the reason we're training. But what we always valued, it's easy to see if there's one more kilo on the bar. It's easy to see if I went three seconds faster or two seconds faster. So it's difficult for us to measure positional quality. And then we get into like my hard style, your soft style, right? Versus, do you know what the shoulder is supposed to do? This is how much range of motion you're supposed to have in your hips. Like, let's just start with that. Right. And more importantly, I appreciate that you're a power lifter, but if you are now compensating because you're missing position, why can't we all see the compensations? Because I don't look, if you're an Olympic sprinter, I don't care if you can go ass to ankle, ass to, you know, ass to ankle Olympic lift, that doesn't matter. What matters is that you have enough dorsiflexion to your sport and to train for your sport. So who owns position? Well, the athletes need to identify when they can't hit their shapes. And we've done a crap job of empowering them to know that, right? Just lift, lift, lift. I don't know why you hurt. But lift, lift, lift. Oh, you tore your labrum. Lift, 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 right? Dude, there's another way in there, right? <laughs> Second is who owns pain? So I think not only do athletes own pain, or position, but they also can own pain. And that means a, a conversation. So if I'm in pain, I should be talking to my coach or I should know what to do to make myself self-soothe. And that might be a trigger gun, a Theragun, that might be voodoo floss, that might be massage, that might be contract relax, that might be having a talk with my psychotherapist about the stress in my life. It may be not eating a highly inflammatory diet. All of those things matter, right? So, but who owns them? And I want to shift that narrative and just put it right back into, this is not why I would go see a physical therapist. I see a physical therapist because I can don't know how to solve this. And even then I'd say, go see a coach first because they're the movement experts. And, and is there even a barbell or a dumbbell in your, in your physical therapy office? Can you put your arms over your head without touching the ceiling? This is a problem, right? There's a carpeted floor. That's an issue for me as an athletic surface. But you know, why don't we only use our medical professions when we actually need them? So if I'm going to go see someone for skilled care, I'm going to go talk to a professional person. If it's not skilled care, it should not be part of, that's like going to, you know, your doctor for a diet. Like what, what, what are you doing? 
Like, you know what I mean? Like I'm going to, my doctors are talking about macros or cycling or carb back. Like, what are we talking about? That's crazy. I, I got so much crap the other day. Cause I, I answered in my, in my, one of my Q and A's on my story. They asked me why I didn't like working at the hospital as a PT that much. And, uh, I said that it was because I didn't feel like I was trained for that. I didn't think that it was skilled care or that it was a cognitive job. I think I said, I think anyone can pick up on what PTs were doing there, which is yeah, you're giving them ankle circles and like hip bridges on their bed. And then you're taking them for a walk. You know, is that, is that skilled? Am I using my brain to do that? Ooh, no. So I girl, think someone else can pick it up. And some poo bombs on the internet. I, <laughs> I, mean, I, think someone, I just think someone else can pick it up. That was it. Well, yeah, I think your point was that 100% correct. Yeah. You already um, have skilled positions like nurses in the hospital and they can easily absorb those few responsibilities without having to take another doctorate level uh, clinician, clinician to come in and just do these simple tasks. It's like you guys are so overqualified to just do that. It doesn't need to be a whole job. No. You know, it exactly. can just be absorbed by someone else. But, you know, what what people took it as was or a few people, I guess, was that you were saying this is beneath PTs. Just let the nurses do the crap work, which is, you know, that's if you're, if you're thinking critically, that's obviously not what you were saying, but people like to get upset. So that's how they took it. Yeah. I think that circles, <laughs> yeah, that, that circles back to just the, the idea that, that we're trained to deliver a, a kind of a set of tools, kind of a menu and that we select from the menu and our whole, and kind of the most challenging choice we make is which tool to select from our little box, as opposed to right, this goal driven human relationship that is just not what most people expect when they go to someone for skilled care. So the system is built not to support it. And the education is not necessarily built to support it. And coaches just have that built in because, right, you don't, it's clear when you lose Monaco, right? It's clear when you come P10, right? So it's about the goal, right? And then you do everything, you, you engineer that backwards. So what, you know, what is necessary to achieve that goal? And then you arrive at all the different possible variables because that thing is so valuable. Right. And then, and then we know how that kind of translates to life because that is right. The, the proving ground for life. Right. So it's just totally, it just, it seems like the systems are just engineered so differently. And we take for granted some of the things that are, that are clearly obvious in sports. And it's hard to get around that when that's absent in a clinical setting. And we have coaches who are yahoos on the internet you know, and, mm -hmm. and I, I would say right now we have the greatest richness of coaching we have ever seen in the history of the world. There are so many talented coaches really working in high performance environments who are integrating, who are, you know, can speak Caldeets, they can speak hybrid, they understand nutrition, they understand movement and, and, and conditioning. And I mean, I think it's an embarrassment of riches right now. And if I had to compare the growth of what's happened in the professional coaching world to what's happened in the physio world, it's not commensurate at all. Unless we have coach uh, physios like Steffi, who has said, okay, or Carlos, like you, Sean, or Ian, where we have seen the whole pivot and we've said, okay, here's, here's what else I can do. And I can integrate these things into, you know, a, a, a whole a coach and whole. And, and I have to tell you, Steph, I, I remember doing like a, 
20 minute ICU, like, you know, uh, chart review about a very complex patient where I spent 20 minutes grading their bed rolling. Right. You know what I mean? I remember being like, what? You know what I mean? Like what, wait, 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 what? I did what? You know? So no, like, oh, patient was able it's to sit so and so bed. Like, I'm glad I had like that. that. You know, I, I feel you very much. And, um, and I'll have to tell you that every chance I got, I would touch patients and I'd rub their necks and do some soft tissue work whenever I could. And I would do all of this manual resisted trunk work and approximation through the joints and we'd bridge and I'd be pushing through their hips, loading their booty sprout bridging in the hospital. I was working on breathing and I'd do Tabata squats and people were like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know, skilled care. And what's, what's it look like to you? You know? So, you know, um, it's really, it's an exciting time. I think what we're starting to establish are, you know, the next conversation for us is what does athletic development begin? How do we apply what we feel like we're really onto something in this performance hybrid model, pun intended. How do we help other people understand so they don't have to make the same mistakes or at the same inefficiencies, right? Because what I wanted to come down to is genetics, I mean, like, sorry, you're just not strong enough or you don't have the genetics for this. You know, that's what it really ultimately should come down to. Everyone, everyone should have access to the same sets of tools. Yeah. That's yeah. The tools are open source, right? You know, in, in the therapy world, they still put them behind $3,000 certification walls. Not anymore. Yeah. It's like, well, you can just go find that on the internet now. And that's a huge problem for that business model. It is. It is. And and that's good. You know, it is, this, this is an industry ripe for disruption. And as we've seen, you know, some of our friends who are, you know, we have more and more PTs and chiros saying, you know what, I'm not, this other model is not sustainable. I'm not able to pay off my student loans. Right. I'm not able to have a life. I'm working my ass off. Can't deliver the kind of care I want. So what's the solution to that? To work harder in that solution where you see more patients in a day or you suck in some other young person underneath you and you're like, tricked you. Now I can see eight patients a day, but you can see 12 patients a day and I don't have to pay you because you're unskilled. So that sounds like a puppy mill, right? And that, mm. and, and that is not any insidious thing. Like I, I, I think it's like factory farming, chicken farming, like those big, large scale factory farms didn't just happen overnight. Those are stepwise growth and people want cheap meat. This is how we do it. It's a, it's a, it's an expression of a normal expression of the system. If you give the system enough time, that's what's happened to our traditional medical model around musculoskeletal care. And what, if I just take a step back, as we were talking earlier, let's give ourselves a grade. How are we doing, you guys, on low back pain? More or less? What's that again? Are, are, are we, are we, do we have more low back pain or less low back pain? Are we having more surgeries or fewer surgeries? More. Oh. How, how about ACL injury rates in, in men and women? Women are tearing, particularly, tearing their ACLs at six to eight times the rate of men. How are we doing on that? How about, you know, diabetes? How about, you know, when you and I went to, well, I'm older, but when I went to high school, one in 4,000 of us, one out of 4,000 would be diabetic. One in 4,000. Now, if you're a Latinx male, the chance of you being diabetic are two out of three. If you're a black woman, the chance of you being diabetic are two out of three, independent of socioeconomic status. And for my kids, my lily white girls who live in Northern California, chance of them being diabetic, one in four. 
So I went from one in 4,000 to one in four. And that means we have to be talking about the environment. So if you're not like biopsych, a social model, let me give you a grade healthcare F, right? Who's being killed right now by COVID people with cardiovascular disease, people who are pre-diabetic, people who are, are obese, 60% of us are going to be obese by the age of 35 here, like tomorrow. And that's independent of socioeconomic status. So if I have to give ourselves a grade about musculoskeletal health, and now what we know, because we lecture at Stanford, is that over 50% of the problems a physician will see, she is seeing are musculoskeletal problems, not liver problems, not skin cancer, not all the things physicians are trained for. They're seeing really simple musculoskeletal problems. So we have this gigantic mismatch between environment and organism right now and it's blowing up on our face and no one's talking about it and instead we're arguing about pain science but meanwhile we have an organism that's not being a human being so uh you know this is either a really good business model for someone or we are failing everyone i mean that it's it's complicated because i think it requires it, it not only requires exceptional effort from an you know, teacher education standpoint, some sort of delivery method that's amazing and that makes people want to engage and want to take in the information. But it also requires a societal transition and mindset, right? Because, I mean, how easy is it if you have a liver problem, you go to the doctor and they just give you pills or they just do a surgery or they just whatever, right? Yeah, the, but the disincentive has been minimized because the care is better, right? That's what and it's complicated. No. You, came, you came out of a, some environment. You came out of a tradition where this is how my mom cooked. No one exercised and feel good. Right. So this is uh, just to be clear. This is no one's fault. This is an ex normal expression of the system. It's just the same as a physical therapist seeing 20 people in the day. It's what happens when we aren't conscious or we don't know how to change the system and the system starts to become express problems. Right. I squat this way. For a long time, there's no problem. All of a sudden, my knee starts hurting. And you're like, dude, why are you squatting that way? Because it's always worked until now, right? And all of a sudden, I'm like, well, maybe it's not as sustainable. It's the same sort of ordered thinking. And I really appreciate you saying it is complex. And let's go ahead and give that voice that we may have failed people really drastically in this generation. And that means we cannot fail this next generation. We have a chance to go into our physio schools and tell the students that there's a different way. We have a chance to talk to families families and get, and we have a chance to, we say point positive. You know, one of the things that you guys do such a good job of is I don't see you shit talk anyone's program on the internet. You always were like, well, that's their thing, but I'll show you what we do. You know I mean? Like this is what we like. And that's the way, you know, it's, it's not an accident. You guys have such a following and people have such a positive emotional response to you guys. I mean, I'm, I never even met you guys and I'm all hybrided out all the time. Right. <laughs> and uh, you know, because, because I identify with what you're doing and how you're doing it. So I, I think we have to give people better choices. Otherwise, again, it's just circus and let's just, you know, we'll just handle all the diabetics and we'll we'll put more people on dialysis and we'll just the next the next time climate change comes around or something comes around. And I don't mean to be macabre, but this is this is who we are and what's going on. Right? And to to tie this back up with something that we were saying just at the beginning of our conversation about us being attracted to each other because we have similar ideas and similar values. Um, this is going to require a collective effort and yes. it's not going to it's not individual. You know, we should. 
as, especially in the in the healthcare professions, PTs, Kairos, we should stop dichotomizing. We should stop hating on someone else's ideas. We should stop trying to one up and trying to get more engagement and more likes, more views, and focus on the on the common goal, which is to get people better. Like that's what attracted me to the profession initially. But you know, you can only do so much on your own. So I think what I'm seeing, and this is part of the conversation I had the other day with uh, Craig Levinson, is that you eventually meet those people who, who share your thoughts, your ideas and your integrity, because it's not only that you're putting out the right information is that you're making the conscious decision to not talk about the things that are sexy and that might get more engagement and exposure because you don't think those are the things of value. And instead you're taking the path of most resistance by bringing to light topics that are not sexy, that are very difficult to understand, that are very difficult to explain for the betterment of humankind. So yeah, it's, it's going to be a collective effort and we're all going to have to meet and we're, and I, and I think, I don't know how it's going to happen, but yeah. I think we're going to have to each put our My kind of mantra, salt. One of the things that I, about two years ago, I really tried to do a lot more of was point at the people I thought were doing great. Even if they felt like they overlapped with my business or we touched, because there's frankly, there's not enough of us. I mean, if you and I had exactly the same business, I'd be like, start on your side of the country. I'll start on my side of the country. We'll meet in the middle. We'll never meet. There's, we're just never, there's too many people. We're not yeah. doing a good enough job. Right. And the things that you say, you say slightly different with a slightly different vibe, you're a different person than I say. And we actually need multiple coaches with different, you know, if you go to any powerlifting meet or Olympic lifting meet or sporting event, it seems like everyone has a different coaching style and yet everyone does the same things at the end, right? Yeah. So there's yeah. more, there's multiple ways into the middle. And I really just appreciate what you're saying about, you know, pointing positive, but my, my model has been for the last year, and this has really helped me is that the glacial pace is the breakneck pace. This is as fast as we can go. It takes a minute to make these changes. And we haven't, if I'm going to grade us on the big stuff, we haven't, we haven't met our goals yet. We haven't, you know, it's, this sounds totally cheesy, but the vow of the Bodhisattva is to, you know, help all other beings figure it out what you figure it out. I mean, that's, I'm not saying that I'm, Bodhisattva. I'm saying like we, I feel like I'm part of a community and a movement that has figured out one style of way of feeling better, of having more important relationships with their family and friends, uh, that builds anti-fragile, robust people, teaches us how to eat and move and prep and, and practice. And I want everyone to understand what we know, you know, and you can reject it, but we can apply, still apply those principles back into uplifting all the other places. So even if you don't like, you know, you don't like deadlifting, that's fine, you know, well, it's not fine, but you get the idea, you know, you know, we, ha we have a moment to say, this is what we know. And because we've tested it in our lab over and over and over and over again. Yeah. Hey, Kel, I want to touch on something before I don't want to take too much of your time. Uh, I want to touch on something that's, that I think would be valuable for our listeners and that is, uh, highly applicable. So obviously you're the master of mobility and, you brought up the example of, of power lifters and it got me thinking, and we actually thought about that the other day about how, especially power lifters. And I think maybe probably strongmen too, they think they, they only need to be as mobile as they need to be for their sport and don't see the benefits of doing any sort of extra mobility work or improving your range of motion or, or anything. Being able to move like a, an like actual human being instead of a <laughs> 10, tenfold robot. <laughs> 
know, what, what, what's interesting is, um, you know, it's easy. There's so let, let's start just if you've ever been around powerlifters and I'm not a powerlifter, I was a terrible powerlifter. My best all time squat was in front of Louis Simmons, 525, had a hundred pounds of band, you know, was, was squatting with, uh, squatting with, uh, Laura Phelps. And then Laura got in and tripled it and then worked her way up to like 700. And I, I really was the weakest woman out of like five women on the platform. And I, <laughs> at that moment I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, what am I doing? You know? So I'm a, te- I'm not a powerlifter, but what I'll tell you, is that if I look at what I think is some of our best powerlifters and the access they have to positions and the effortlessness and the choices they can make based on having more than one range of motion, a little tiny window that they can't deviate from. Donnie Thompson, one of the hardest Donnie Thompson workouts there is, is his little speed day. So his, you know, West side hybrid thing, whatever he did, he would do some bottom up, speed doubles from the chains. So, you know, concentric, you know, loaded chain work. And then in the same minute, he would double snatch these kettlebells, these seventies for five. And then the next minute he's right back on it. So in a speed double on the minute, plus a little bit of cardio load. I don't know the last time you tried to double snatch two 70 pound kettlebells, but you have pretty rad shoulder range of motion. Oh, and it turns out he played really high level football. Like he's a good athlete. I take you, I'll take Mark Bell and his athleticism. And what you'll suddenly start to see, look at Chris Duffin, look at some of, some of these people who are brutally strong. Look at, and the question is, once again, how much do I need? Like, do I need to be a gymnast level? And you don't, what we really want to say is we don't establish minimums. Um, and so we, because we haven't said, here's a movement minimum or can you identify when you're compensating? So one of the things that's really notable about your squat stuff is how straight your feet are, right? You really, and also, have you ever played soccer with your feet turned out like ducks, right? It doesn't work very well to sprint down the field or ride a bike or jump and land. So it's not an accident that this is a pattern that works for you and you have some ankle range of motion and enough hip range of motion to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So what I, what I think is I don't, I need people to be able to manage. If you don't have any hip extension, that's a problem, right? If you, if you're in, and especially it's a problem. If you're suddenly you're like, my knee hurts when I squat. And then I'm like, well, can I see how much you're spending your time in hip extension? You're like I extend my hip every day. And I'm like, no, 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 that's extending the hip. That's not hip extension. And if I look at your movement profile, if you don't ever spend time, in these extended hip extended shapes, elevated split squat, Bulgarian split squat, pressing from a lunge, walking lunges, prowler. Like it's not an accident. If you look at the assistance work that we all should be doing, some of the assistance work, I think we sold as that's where strength is built. And I'm like, "Mm, that's where positions are maintained. That's where we're able to maintain our shapes and touch positions, which aren't as important. So the, the question is, in your sport at that top of that pyramid in sports specific training. And this gets complicated because some of these sports start to feel like year round endeavors, right? But the only thing I should be doing in sports specific training when I'm peaking for an event or I'm, I'm in the middle of my season is everything is geared towards making me a better athlete in my sport. And that's the only thing I care about, right? How do I know that we did enough mobility? You set PRs, you record, you came through the season, you played your best. But then we go out of that season and we go into what we call sports preparation, which should look like a little bit more generalized. We're still looking at positions and mechanics. We're looking at coordination, but it's very specific for 
recreating some of the losses that we had when we were specialists. So at the end of a meet, you should look like a crappy power lifter. Like you should be stiff. You shouldn't have access positions because everything tapered for that one moment to do those few movements in that one shape. If we use powerlifting example, but then I come out of that and now, Hey, I'm going to start spending some more time in extension. I'm going to deadlift from a staggered position. I'm starting going to start to load that hip. I'm going to start to do a little bit like you got, you, I recently saw you do some really narrow or maybe it was Daniel and Billy, uh, do some really narrow squats, heels up, right? Like just squatting from a different position. You know what? You, you bring up something really interesting, which is the fact that you not only need to periodize load, but you also need to periodize in your mobility, your cardiovascular training, your, your athletic training and, and all of that stuff as well. I've always said, you know, I, sometimes I say I'm in the worship of, a, of my life, like right after I meet and in yes, Hayden's like, yeah. well, you're in the best powerlifting shape of your life. You're also just, true. you're just yeah. in the, in the worst human, human <laughs> shape of your life. <laughs> and it's so true. Like I'm getting out of breath from like going up five stairs. It's so bad. I can barely jump or move in any other direction. It's rough. But yeah, and, then, and then it's okay. It's that. And that's what we want people to appreciate is that's what should happen. At the end of a soccer season, you should look like a soccer player. Right. But we're now, you know, I really appreciate sort of this West side kind of concept, which was, we should always be between 85 and 90%. Like you don't need to let your strength go. You just don't need to be your peak strength. Right. Yeah. Like you just had a post Hayden, which was about, um, you know, building strength is difficult. Maintaining strength is actually easier. Right. Yeah. And, I, I stole and that, I stole that really, language from Steffi, <laughs> but I did, I did post that. <laughs> what was your post? I don't, I mean, you can give credit to the, uh, to, you know, to the cohabitator, but, uh, you know, the idea here is, you know, that's what we should be thinking about. And strength is just one of those components, you know, because in the greater conversation, at some point, believe it or not, unless you're a powerlifter, you are strong enough, right? It really is a conversation. Well, are you doing sports? Like I guarantee you, Stevie, you're strong enough to play soccer right now, right? I guarantee you, you're like the strongest soccer player ever. Yeah. And You know, what we can say then is, hey, let's look at these capacities and shapes and say, where should we be spending most of our time? The, the Olympic lifting and the powerlifting sometimes muddies the water, you know, and, and to your point, Hayden, um, you know, I see, you know, these guys who can squat seven or 800 and they walk in and their feet are turned out and they can't extend, they can't put their shoes on. I'm like, okay, that is not my athletic person, right? That is a specialized person the same way you know, any, uh, my Olympic runner is a specialized runner, right? They're there. So it's, it's important that we begin to parse out sports specific training. What's my goal, make you better at your sport, sports preparation, where we get to keep an eye on these other things, right. To restore native positions. And by the way, I think it's all there in our accessory training. I think that's why we invented accessory training. Right. It wasn't just about getting a pump. It wasn't just about muscular endurance and flooding the tissues with blood. Maybe it is, but it's also about restoration of position and being able to touch shapes, right? To be able to landmine press if you're, you know, I don't care if you can snatch as a bodybuilder, but man, some landmine pressing, moving that, that pressing shape over the head, that makes a lot of sense just to maintain and keep an eye on your position. You know, it's then, you know, on the other side of that, I'll put GPP which is what really confuses people because now maybe you're looking at energy systems and you're looking at different movements, but GPP is just theoretically just get stronger and fitter at everything. And then that will magically make you better at athletics. And so, you know, if you're doing a ton of air squats in a crappy position, 
because you're getting fit from your GPP program, that's not going to translate under load or speed or in sport. So for me, I'm like, that's less valuable. You know, you may look shredded, but you're going to be a terrible athlete, terrible war fighter, terrible, you know, competitor. Mm -hmm. And on the other side of GPP, we'll put fitnessing, which is really confusing because that's what the internet is full of. Just people like, this is my shred, my leg burn. I'm like, well, (laughs) how do I progress that? How do I know if I'm making progress? If I look good naked or not, that's, you know, that's the same thing for me. It's like, do I have pain or not? Well, do I look good naked or not? I guess it's working. Mm -hmm. look good naked. As as it pertains to high level competitors and, and, I guess, professional lifters that I think the important thing to mention here is that I think most people take that off season or the GPP season as an excuse to like fuck off essentially. Right. And they put and zero, do nothing, either yeah. do nothing or do a bunch of mindless stuff, you know? And like you said, that's not going to benefit them in the long term. They should be, they should be as specific with their extra exercise selection during their off season as they are during their season oh, yeah. prep time. I mean, if you're a serious oh, yeah. athlete, Absolutely. then, if you're a serious then athlete, is what I'm all saying. of your, all of your training year round should, should have a purpose. Everything needs to it. be dialed in. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah that, that reminds me of the book he recommended to me at the CrossFit games. Um, Steph has a copy in her house too. Um, uh, Franz Bosch's book. Oh. Uh, you know, we were talking about just transfer and that the fact that transfer isn't guaranteed, that you can't just like magically, you know, manifest transfer just because in both a positive and a negative way. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, right. So we have to play this experimentation game about what transfers, but also be mindful about, about what things we select or else, or else we're literally just wandering around in in the forest, hoping to find kind of the edge of it. Yeah. And what you really came back to is that, um, you know, at the heart of soul, what we are is we're coaches. Mm. It turns out my coaching specialty is helping you do what your coach thinks you need to do, right? Or helping coaches solve a problem and getting out of their assets. I, I, I walk into a lot of high performance environments and help people problem solve with a different, different view, right? I don't know the best way to prepare powerlifters. That is not my thing. I have some feelings about what your powerlifting should look like. You know, I, I've had NFL coaches who were like, how many times a week should I bench press? I'm like, I have no idea. You are the, you are the offensive lineman strength coach. I have no idea, but I can tell you what good benching looks like. And I can tell you if you're being inefficient and you're benching, why your shoulders are when you bench. Mm-hmm. So to your point, what do you mean when you, you say know, inefficient as far as that need, movement goes? We need coaches. What point did we not as human beings need teachers and coaches and maybe teacher is the right word, not coach anymore. Right. That's yeah. coach. You know, it's really like, you know, because what we're seeing now is a generation of young person who's come in who doesn't know how to eat. They don't know how to sleep. They don't know how to warm up and cool down. They have been thrown into sports and, you know, and you just have a juice box at the end of the game. And here's a donut because, you you know, and and you don't know if you're compensating, but you just got it done. And that was the old model. You know, train as the old powerlifting and lifting model, swear to God, was train as hard as you can, break rest a little bit. Hopefully you get a little further next time before you break again. People think I'm full of shit. That is the truth. God's honest truth about how we told people, well, just rest a little bit and we'll get a little further next time. Yeah. Go watch West side versus the world. Well, in Olympic <laughs> yeah. weightlifting, he's talking about oh, too. But, but yeah, yeah. Same. I mean, that's the whole the, Bulgarian method is just based on that yeah. principle too. Yeah. yeah. It's about selecting the people who can handle the biggest beatdown. Yeah. Or who could lie to their coach the most. <laughs> <laughs> or who could lie to their coach the most, right? Yeah. And, and you know, also I think one of the things that um, has happened a little bit is that it's easy because we have CrossFit 
and because we have powerlifting and lifting and those are not the same things, but we can measure their progress of training by the same thing, right? So it's easy, but I still need you to show up on the day and be the best competitor. And I think sometimes we have conflated training because it's so easy to look like be great in the training hall, right? And not a real athlete. And how do we develop athleticism? And is athleticism, can I enhance your athleticism in the gym? Yes. Can I develop your athleticism? Mm, it's going to be more difficult to have that conversation besides improving your physiology. So ultimately, I still want the best athlete, the most mentally tough athlete, and I can reinforce those things. But I think sometimes we've lost our minds about how much focus we have in the gym and how we're not going out and becoming better competitors and playing more. And, you know, like I need my soccer players strong enough and I use the gym to restore their positions and positional capacities so they can go spend those credits on the soccer field. Right. And, you know, Bonderchuk, incredible throws coach was at some point he's like, dude, you bench 550, you're, you're strong enough to throw this, you know, 16 pound weight. That is not the limiting factor. Now you need to go throw a lot more. So we, I think we've been shy away. You know, Pavel said it. I've heard a lot of other coaches um, talk about it. University of Indiana has now discovered that like, Hey, we want our, skills guys to be able to squat 1.75, their back, back weight. They don't strong enough, right? Back squat their body weight. And, and, you know, what we've said is just get stronger, keep developing these things. And we've lost why we're training in the first place. And it is confusing for people because it, it is complicated and complex. You know, when I, when my sport is recursive, it's powerlifting, Olympic lifting, and those things have colored and it's not an accident. Steffi, I, I think you played soccer, right? And Aiden, you or I, hockey player and isn't that weird that you guys were really competent or at least had a high level exposure to athleticism before you found strength sports and you guys probably could have done a little more front squatting when you were playing both of your sports that would have helped your sports we just didn't know at the time but now i'm like all right let's let's have the next complex conversation and that's great that's an amazing thing to do right absolutely yeah this is a it's a good place to stop um you know, I, I did have one more question, if ahead. we have time. Go ahead. I was just, these, these are, oh, these oh, are oh, my real yeah. caps. The internet's full of lies. They're not implants. <laughs> I, uh, I was just curious about the rebranding from Mobility Wad to the Ready State. And, oh. uh, and if you're still doing anything with Mobility Wad and, and just what the why you did that. What's the T? Yeah, what's the T? What's the T? Well, the T is, um, you know, all of a sudden we had a couple other people who were purporting to do the similar things to us. With similar sounding names, and that really bummed me out. And then there was also 500 something wads, and something came through. And this is really important, and I'm not shouting down their business, but sobriety wad put me over the edge. And suddenly <laughs> you couldn't tell, right? There's a, a divorce wad, judge wad, you know, like there's, you know, I tried to buy dick wad, but it was already taken. <laughs> and, uh, true story. So I, I suddenly felt like, you know, my name didn't mean anything because so many people have the same name, you know, and you guys might feel the same with those hybrid, bribrid, dibrid, you know, fibrid, you know, all of a sudden you'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. There's only one hybrid. And the second thing is that, you know, we really felt a call to talk about public service and make sure that we were, this is as much about social justice and mobility wad was very technical still smacked too much of crossfit and workout of the day and we were much more than that we were talking about tissue health and we're having these these sophisticated conversations and 
the ready state was really trying to come back to what's important to you. And also we appreciate that your life is complex with complex injury history and complex biosocial needs and relationships. And you may not be able to live some kind of optimal life where you check the box and you count every gram and you measure everything. And so, you know, what we're saying is how can we help you get ready for what you want to get ready for? And then we add one more thing in, oh, look at that, is how do we, you know, how can we take 10 years of data and 10 years of experience and streamline that so that people could find what they needed? Because mobility, well, I didn't set out to make 4,000 videos. But one day I had a, like a, a warehouse full of, of videos where I was like, oh, the, the video you want is behind the corner on the left on the third shelf, right? It wasn't very easy to use. And so what we felt like is we had an opportunity to streamline and then take our really do take what we learned and, and transfer it over into, you know, moms and dads and middle-aged people and professional sports. And honestly, though, secretly, my wife's not here. Do not rebrand. It is such a pain in the butt. It almost killed us. <laughs> and it was my idea. And I literally was like, I had this great idea. Make it happen, Juliet. And she was like, you're, you're dead to me. Um, <laughs> but I honestly built this thing for coaches because we're having so many conversations. And you guys can appreciate this. Hey, I'm programming. We're looking at nutrition, warm-ups, cool-downs. And then I have to do this lifting around programming some soft tissue down regulation for your athletes at night too. You're like, dude, at some point I'm like, and I, what I felt like is let me handle that for you so that we have so many high level teams like the all blacks, like, um, you know, women's soccer. We, we just have, we have so many people, team coaches who are like, I want you to go on, choose something that hurts, go work on it for 10 minutes. There's some follow on programming. So we really tried to streamline it for the coach and for the provider so that they didn't have to do this yet another lift because there's just not enough time. Awesome. Hey, I lo- I, it's a great name and I love the the meaning behind it as well. Well, you guys like that electric, electric Egyptian coloring. I know what's up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you. Guys, you. you know, I, I really, it, it's amazing. I, I feel like I know you guys so much. I stalk you on the internet. Um, I really just love how you guys represent and what you're doing and the messaging and the complexity of, and the, the sophistication of the content. And you really, I really appreciate that you've talked up to us all, that you all feel like we can come meet you guys. We're at your understanding. You don't ever talk down to people. So man, I'm such a fan and I can't believe that this is actually like, I mean, Stephen, I've talked for like two minutes, but this is the first time face to face with you guys. And I feel like you're my, you're my family. Uh-huh. I appreciate it. The, the feelings mutual and we've been, uh, you know, long-term fans ever since the supple leopard. So well, we got another edition coming out, which is going to help people. I think, you know, cause we, it's going to be even heavier. So pretty soon you can use it for accommodating resistance and uh, we'll put a kettlebell handle on it and use it as swings. But, uh, you know, what we realize is, man, we can, we can put in, you know, soft tissue techniques and we can put in blood flow restriction and have like when we first wrote this thing, you know, in 2013, the world wasn't ready at all. And the physios weren't ready at all. Like they didn't understand what we were doing. They didn't understand the shapes and fast forward. And we have really seen a strength conditioning community become so sophisticated, really, really sophisticated. And which means we all get to have the next conversation, you know, which is so great. It's a living document for sure. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time, Kel, and keep fighting the good fight. Uh, we can't wait to get our asses out to Miami. 
Uh, if I was going to be stranded in paradise, I wish I was stranded in your garage uh, <laughs> and your pool. You guys, you're killing it. And thank you guys so much. And Ian, it's such, such a pleasure to see you again, my friend. 